You know, I, I, when I look back and I think his hand was on me as a little girl in that little tiny Mormon community, and he took me by the nape of the neck and said, you're mine. Pamela Reed says she just bounces along to where God wants her to be. But she doesn't just wait for God. She looks for God in herself and in others. Her view was born of pain and despair and led to more than one miracle. Hello and welcome to the Hill Stories podcast, a space to tell the God stories unique to the people at Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. I'm your host, David Wilson. We are sitting with Pamil Reed. I know you've been an elder. I know you're, uh, you've been part of the prayer team at Chapel Hill. And there's so many other things that you've been involved in. What have you done over the years? Oh, I just kind of bounce along and see where God wants me the next place <laughs> and try to be sensitive to his leading and his calling. And he is so faithful. And what I love most is when he points me in a direction, and I say, oh, there's no way I can do that. You know, I, I'm not equipped to do that or whatever. And then I just feel him say, mm, this is right where I want you. So I'm just open to whatever the calling is of where he wants me to be. What is your calling right now? Right now, my calling is to be at home for my husband, who, uh, without going into a lot of detail, he needs me more now than he has so um, he's on my front burner, and my home life is on my front burner. And that's uh, sometimes I want to get out and be going around and doing things. And but God has really called me to this, and it's it has been a a blessing and a peace that is is really dear. What else have you done over the years to help shape who you are right now? Oh, that's a. A really big question. In the context of Chapel Hill or your adult membership, what have you done over the years? I think being on the prayer team has been really pivotal for me. That has been so powerful, and I have been able to witness God's just miraculous work in people. Um, and um, just the development of the prayer team and how he has matured us has been um, such a blessing. And and to get to really know people on that kind of a level, where people come to the prayer team with, um, with a lot of brokenness and a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And it's been amazing to see how God works through that, especially when we, as um, in the body of Christ, take time to take a deep breath and to hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through that person and also to hear how the Holy Spirit would respond to that person. It's just that matter of removing ourselves and letting God work in us. So I think that's been one of the, one of the most, most powerful and, and blessed places I've ever been. And that has also just transferred not just to, on the prayer team but in listening and, and being there for other people. Um, outside of the church, uh, you know, other people in the family, other people in the community, just being able to see them. Um, my prayer every morning is that God would remove anything of me that is not of him so that people would look at me and not see me but see him. And, uh, and, it has, and then 
through this prayer ministry, that the other part of that prayer is let me see you in them. Let me not just see this persona of who someone might be, but let me see them as you see them. Let me see that kernel of God-likeness in them. And I think the prayer team has, has really done a mighty, a mighty work in all of us in getting into, us to that point. I want to go backwards a little bit right now. Perfect. When did you first meet Christ? Oh, it's such a, it is such an amazing story. There's a scripture, and I wish I were like Annie Weber, who could just pop these scriptures right out of her head. <laughs> but I'm not, but I know the gist. <laughs> but when I said, oh, come, let me tell you what he has done for me. And, and I remember when I first found Christ, I just wanted to shout from the rooftops, let me tell you who he is and what he has done. My backstory is I was uh, raised in a very tiny town in central Utah, a very tight Mormon community. I have uh, <laughs> the Mormonism DNA within, within me. Hmm. Uh, my generations go back to Joseph Smith and people being with him. So that was very ingrained. I never knew anyone different from that until I went away to college. So it was, it was a little farming community. We worked very hard. We had wonderful time as, as a family. And in that little community, the community was family. I did not know Grace. I had not heard about Grace. I'd never heard the song Amazing Grace hmm. until I was older. And um, so I tried very hard to be good. Just wanted to be so good. And all that time thinking, oh, God, I'm trying so hard. But I can't be good enough. I'm not good enough. If I were good enough, all of these things would fall into place. And it was, it was very despairing. My family is a family of seven children. And uh, my father was king of the cowboys, sat real tall in his saddle. Mm. And was um, an amazing man who later in his life did come to know Jesus. My mother was a beautiful, wonderful lady who had suffered from Great Depression. And I credit a lot of that of her not being able to be good enough to make things work in her life the way she wanted them. So she self-medicated, um, and she had a hard life, a life that was not um, fully and robustly lived. So the siblings, we took care of each other, especially my sisters. We mentored and mothered and, and healed each other. Um, and through it all, you know, it was, I look back with great joy over the way I was raised because it taught me some very good values. I realized that there was, that I am good with Christ. And when I came to know Christ, and that was through a real difficult time, it was, gosh, it was at a point where nothing was working in my life, no matter how hard I tried. I had gone through more than one divorce. I, uh, I was in one marriage that was uh, very dangerous, very abusive. And remember at that time, there was just, there was, I had no rungs on my ladder. I grew up knowing Jesus, but I didn't know the Jesus that I know now. And so it was at one point, and I will share this 
this instance with you because that was so pivotal in my life. Okay. It was one night, and I was alone, and it, I was in so much despair, feeling so hopeless, feeling like there's no way I can make this make anything work right now. And I just remember I was in bed and cried out to Jesus and said, God, I, I am in so much pain right now. There's no way I can, even, I can even talk about it. I have no words for my pain. And at that moment, I felt something just descend upon me. And it was like a thick saran wrap that wrapped me up. And I just felt an amazing peace. And then words started coming out of my mouth that I didn't understand. Mm. And I just felt God say to me, I have you now. You never need to be afraid again. You'll get through this. You're with me now. And from that moment on, my life changed. I had always had a hunger for Jesus. I was the best little Mormon girl, 100% attendance when just everything I did. Um, tried so hard to be the perfect wife and mother, but I couldn't be good enough. And then when I had that experience, I knew that I could not be good enough. God is good enough, and I am good enough wrapped in him. So that, from that point on, my life totally changed. I remember singing the song, Put on the Garment of Praise for the Spirit of Heaviness. And that has been what has always worked for me from then on. I just praise God and I say, oh, he brought me out of the muck and the mire and put my feet on solid ground. And I am free and I am good enough just as I am. Now your faith was put on solid ground, but yes. your situation was essentially identical from the day before. But it, it, it was, it's like a supernatural thing. My situation didn't change, but I knew I was okay. And I knew I had, I, I felt God just say, there's some things that you need to do to get out of this, but you'll be okay. And I knew he was with me and I could do that. So from that moment on, I wasn't frightened. You were looking at it through a new lens. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was, it, was, it was nothing short of miraculous. You know, I have seen miracles in my life. That is the greatest. Hmm. Our own personal miracle. Yes. Where does your story go from there? I got out of the situation. I would go to church on Sunday, and I thought, okay, I can do just fine until I get, get to church on Wednesday night. And then I'll be okay if I can just hang on until Sunday again. And that's how I did it. <laughs> just totally relying on, on God. And, and, and I always like to think, okay, if I do this and this and this, then. I think if I, if I am in the Word and in prayer, then I will, I will mature and I will, I'll be okay. And so um, from that moment on, I started reading my yearly Bible, which I have done consistently every year since, uh, starting and, and ending my day with prayer, praying throughout the day. And that has put me on the solid ground that I needed to be on 
I was alone for a while, and then I, I found my sweet husband, who um, continually surprises me at his goodness mm. and his kindness, how he loves my children the way they've never been loved. You've got a new lens to look through, but you still see the same old world. Oh, <laughs> definitely. But I see all the brokenness, but it doesn't frighten me. Okay. Okay. I, even today, I look at all the brokenness, and I know who's in charge. I knew he's on the throne. Where does your life go at this point? Right now, I just, I'm in the winter season of my life. I want every day to count. I've had uh, several life-altering experiences physically in my life. I, um, I, had, I got bit by a cat. I had sepsis that was very bad, where I had to be on continual IVs for three weeks. When I was a little girl, I got hit by a car. When I was in my early 50s, I had breast cancer. And then six years ago, I had a catastrophic fall. And through each one of those, even when I was young and things would happen, I thought, oh, I get to live again. I remember when I was hit by a car, I was only, what, 12? And intermittently, as I coming in and out of consciousness, I remember waking up and praying and then and then to wake up again and pray. And I remember even that young saying, I, I want my life to count. When I had cancer, and at that back then they hit you with everything they could not you know, it was so my effects were very were very severe. And I remember thinking, Oh, I am too sick to even pray, but knowing I had people praying for me was a great comfort. But coming through that, I remember saying, oh, God, never let me be who I was before. Let me treasure and value every moment I've got. Make a difference in my life so that I can make a difference in others. Dying to myself and letting him live, live through me. And then when I had my fall a few years ago, and I was in ICU for, what, three days, good friends of mine in the medical community said that I'd never be the same. And not only was I the same, but every single time God has, has taken my brokenness and made something better out of it. And through all of that, I am stronger. And I just remember even now, today, I think, oh, God, let me never forget that I've got another... I have another lease on life. I've got another chance to make a difference. I know that some people might be thinking of the cliche, you know, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. But I think in your case, it's a little bit deeper than that, mm -hmm. that each time it's become a renewal. It has. It has. I don't think about making me stronger. If anything, it make, makes me realize uh, how little I have aside from Christ and how fragile and vulnerable and unpredictable life is. And I just, I just want to be who he wants me to be since he gives me another day. And, and with the situation that I'm in with right now, I think I have today. That's what I've got. I don't worry about what's down the road. I have today. Don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> we'll deal with today first, and then we'll move on to tomorrow. You mentioned your serious fall from a few years ago, and I honestly thought it was longer ago than that. It, it, it was a devastating moment. Uh, I know for the congregation, let alone for you. 
but I'd like to know if it's okay with you a little bit more about that. Can you tell us about some of the specifics of what you went through and the resolution of your condition? Oh, sure. It was just like a domino effect of miracles. Um, So I was on the porch and I was leaning over and I leaned too far and I went down nine feet and hit a rockery and then and then hit the concrete. And I didn't know at the time. I, I looked and I saw my leg was going in the wrong direction, but I didn't know that I had an eight-inch fractured skull. And the fact that I did not pass out is a huge miracle. Then the other miracle is that the tree sprayers came earlier in the day to spray my fruit trees. And for some reason, they said, oh, we'll come back and finish this later. They came back, and as I was calling out help, and it was early April, so the doors were all closed, people weren't outside, but I kept calling out help, and I was behind a hedge. And I thought, no one will see me, no one will know that I'm here. And the sprayer came. Before they turned on the generator, they heard me call. And he ran over, my sweet little Willie, <laughs> and immediately dialed 911, um, and and things got mobilized at that point. The paramedics came and you know got me stabilized, got me in into the hospital. The the firemen came back after I, they took me in mm-hmm. and finished washing my window. They mopped up all the blood. <laughs> I remember hearing about that. <laughs> Just so sweet. And then they came down to the trauma center to see if I was okay. Just the goodness of people. Just, it was amazing. But, and then my sister came from Montana, and she got to witness what it looked like to have a church family. Where the... But, <laughs> It's just, it was so overwhelming. I, it just still touches me. But every day there would be flowers at the, uh, and at the door and cards in the mailbox and food being delivered and just the people who were so incredibly good. And, and I remember thinking, oh no, I can't get my grandchildren to Sunday school. Who's going to get them to Sunday school? Because I would take not just them, but all of their friends who I could gather up. They would all little ducklings following me in and I thought nobody's going to be there to get them and the miracle is that my daughter and her husband started going to church again Wow! and you know it was just so sweet Uh, at one point when they were trying to stabilize me and I don't know where this fits theologically but it happened (laughs) so I'm going to share it (laughs) but I looked down on the left side there was my mom and dad and they were just watching me. And I remember thinking, it's okay, I can go, I'll go with them. And then I looked back, I looked when I looked back again and they weren't there. I thought, okay, I'm going to live, it'll be okay. Not quite yet. Not quite yet. What did your recovery look like? Um, it was it was miraculously fast. I. I, I told them, I said, I'm going home. I can't stay in this hospital. And so they said, well, you're going against doctor's orders, but you can go home. It was, I looked back and it seemed really rapid, but, I, I, but it was a process. 
but every day I got stronger. And in, in my family, my dad had these wonderful cowboy sayings, but he always, one of them was, you can't kill a Johnson. <laughs> and I remember laughing about that, saying, you know, not yet. <laughs> and a few years later, your recovery is complete. Complete, absolutely total. I walk four or five miles, five times a week at least. I do all of my own yard work. Um, there's just there's just nothing. It's a, there's been absolutely no lasting effects. You know, I, I, when I look back and I think his hand was on me as a little girl in that little tiny Mormon community, and he took me by the nape of the neck and said, you're mine. His hand was on me through, uh, through the illnesses and the things that have happened. His hand was on me with devastating um, emotional times. His hand has always been on me. And I, I look back and I, I, I keep this journal so that I can see how his hand is, is on me every day. Uh, one time, I felt a physical touch of his hand upon me. Mm. I was uh, I was not asleep, but I just felt a presence beside my bed, and then I felt this this pressure, a physical pressure hand on me, and I just started to sob, and I said, "We talk about how you love us. We have no idea." We have no idea the depth, and that was just a little glimpse, but it was so overwhelming I could barely breathe of how much he loves us. So this, so every day I reflect of how he's speaking to me, what he is directing me to do, and bringing scriptures that come so alive to me. Within the context of your early life, you were involved or part of a strong community the Church of Mormon, well known for its connections to its members, uh, family-oriented connections. How were you able to step out of that into another situation, or what did that look like? Um, well, I went to a college uh, where none of my friends went, where usually they would all go kind of like, in mass, <laughs> and stay in that in within those parameters. And I didn't want. To, I wanted to go see what else was out there. And I married a non-Mormon at that time, uh, father of, the, of my two children, and I loved his family. My parents never. When I stepped out like that, which was totally against what looked like my life would be, they just said, "We want you to be happy," and they were very loving and very accepting. There wasn't condemnation. There wasn't shunning. There was none of that. They just wanted me to be happy. And so they're very supportive. And then when I was, when my children were little and I moved up here to uh, Tacoma, I went to the Mormon church, but I, it, it started to not make a lot of sense to me. And the questions I would ask the brightest people that I knew, I couldn't get the answers that that were that were satisfying. So I stepped away from that, and then I, I, I just went seeking. I remember I went to an Episcopalian church and sat there so lonely. I had no, no idea where to go. And that's one of the reasons I love the inclusiveness at Chapel Hill of how pe people 
they're invited to to meet with the pastors. They they're with life groups. I mean, there's a place where people don't go sit and be lonely. And so I had this hunger, um, but stepping out of the Mormonism, which just seemed like a gradual, natural thing. Uh, my father became a Bernican Christian, as I said, and I'm the only other one. Out of seven siblings. Out of seven siblings. I keep going back to early on when you were talking about one of the things that has shaped you more recently as being a prayer warrior. Mm-hmm. I know in my case, if I do a prayer, oftentimes I'm worried about what words I'm going to use. <laughs> Make sure that I sound okay. But when you are in prayer, you're making a connection. You're more concerned about who you might be praying for in front of you. You are more concerned about who they are, what they need, and how Jesus can help them. Mm -hmm. The words, the ideas, the thoughts, the direction come to you through the Spirit in that understanding. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One thing that uh, I have learned that the prayer ministry has taught me is how to listen better, to really be focused and dialed in to hear exactly what they're saying. And it's so important to say, what do you need today? What are your prayer needs? And then, and then sometimes I don't even remember what I've said, but I think there's, there's that... Uh, there's that fallibility in all of us when we're praying for someone. Did I do it right? And that certainly locks into my background. Am I doing it right? And I know I can't do it right. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus gives, gives the words, and he also gives scenarios that I see uh, with the person that I can speak into. What is the one thing that you would like someone to learn from your story? Oh, that there's great hope and there's great peace and there's great healing. And no matter what life throws at you, no matter what the enemy throws at you, there is hope. One of my other favorite scriptures is Ephesians when it talks about how we get the peace that passes all understanding. And one night I was... It was before I really became a Christian, and I was worried about my daughter in Alaska t- telling me how she was go hiking and she could smell the bears. And I was just, <laughs> you know, and I remember just, I didn't know scripture like this, and just that the peace that passes all understanding is on you. And then I jumped up out of bed and read it. But I, so I always loved that, but then I didn't, I, I, know, I just kind of skipped over the rest of that scripture. It says, and he will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus Christ. And, and when we know Christ, our heart and our mind are safe. He guards those. The enemy has no purchase, no territory with us when we have his peace, when we are lined up with him, when we're reconciled to him. Then our hearts and our mind are safe. And this is not my home. Is there something that we have not talked about that you would like to talk about? Oh, that's a powerful question. Um, I think one thing is we think we know people. 
I see people and I think, oh man, they are so together. They have never had the experiences that I've had to go through. Or, you know, they've never stumbled and made such messes of their lives. And, and then I get to know them and I think they are, they're giants of, of tenacity and faith and endurance and, and just testimony of what God can do in a person's life. It always shocks me when I hear someone's backstory. And so I guess if there's anything that I would like anyone to take away today is that I have a backstory. Everyone has a backstory. Some are more checkered than others. <laughs> um, but God is at work, and he uses everything. And I love Johnny Erickson taught it says that everything is sifted through his fingers of love. And I, can, I know that after going around the block a few times and just loving him and trusting him. I'm safe. I'm secure in him. Thank you so much for your time, Pamil. It has been a pleasure. Mm-hmm. You are a radiant individual. And that's the word that was coming to me as we're mm-hmm. talking. You just have a peacefulness about you. I think that I am blessed to know you, and I think mm-hmm. Chapel Hill is blessed to have you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And thank you for the honor of getting to tell my story. Our pleasure. <laughs> This has been Hill Stories, originating at Chapel Hill Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. The opinions expressed are those of the participants for the edification of our listeners and do not necessarily reflect those of Chapel Hill leadership or the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. If you would like more information or to submit an idea for a future episode, our email address is hillstories at chapelhillpc.org. For everyone here at Chapel Hill, I'm David Wilson. Thank you, and God bless.